March Mania. The Women's March all over the world inspires many other groups to take to the streets. Plus, my interview with a reporter struggling to keep up with the dozens of cases filed against Trump since he won the election, and my top picks for resisting this week. Bloom now joins us. Civil rights lawyer Lisa Bloom. Here to discuss now is Lisa Bloom. Trial attorney Lisa Bloom is head of the Bloom firm. Hello, friends. I am just back from a whirlwind trip, which got me out onto the streets of Washington, D.C., both for Inauguration Day protests and then for the absolutely fabulous D.C. Women's March. And I'm here to give you the real facts, not the alternative facts, but the real facts that the crowd was sparse on Inauguration Day, especially if you don't count the protesters. There were lots of empty spaces, lots of empty seats. And most of the protesters on that day were peaceful and deplored the few who broke windows and acted like idiots. Come on, that does not help our cause. But then, oh, it was also overshadowed by the Women's March the following day. I did an appearance on Joy Reid's MSNBC Saturday morning show high atop a building that morning. So I got to sit with Congresswoman Maxine Waters and Joy Reid and watch the huge crowd streaming in with their pink hats. And boy, was it inspiring. Little kids, men, and most of all, women in every color, shape, size, age, sexual orientation, women who were radicals and who had been to lots of protests, and women who were out there for the very first time. We were go-girling each other and cheering for each other and hugging for each other and taking pictures together, and it was absolutely fabulous. We needed this. We are sick and tired of being demeaned by Donald Trump and his minions. We may have lost the election, but we will not lose our rights or our dignity. I think the signs were the best part. In this age of digital everything, the old-fashioned homemade signs packed some powerful messages. My favorites, which I posted on my social media, I'm a feminist. What's your superpower? So bad, even introverts are here. Now you've pissed off grandma. I got 23,000 likes on my Twitter with that picture. I think that's the most ever. From a young, mentally challenged girl, a homemade sign that read, Trump, don't make fun of people who are different. Be helpful. Be kind. Like me. How about time to rethink the whole anyone can be president thing? <laughs> or two signs. The first read, when mama happy, everybody happy. And the companion sign, mama ain't happy. Girls just want to have fun, dumb mental rights. I saw that one in the several people librarian for facts or how about this one on the porta potty trump tower i liked make racists afraid again and one of a picture of trump in his tangerine hue orange lives don't matter <laughs> so i thought about what kind of sign i was going to make and i tried to respect the organizers wishes that it wasn't supposed to be an anti-trump march i wanted to be proud and positive and I thought about the word feminist, which is loaded for some people, but how silly that is, because a feminist is just someone who believes in equal rights for women after all. So I chose three words, fierce, fabulous, feminist. And I got a lot of love and hugs walking around with that sign. I think my favorite chant when we were in front of the White House, 
Obama did it better. Obama did it better. And that has to tie with, how do you like your first day? We're not going away. (laughs) The women's marches worldwide saw nearly 5 million people in the streets. They were the biggest demonstrations for women's rights in history. In the U.S., there were more than 400 marches and 168 more in 81 cities abroad. There were marches on every continent, even Antarctica, where scientists there held up signs in support. And as far as I can tell, there was not a single arrest because women are awesome. And the organizers did a beautiful job handling the logistics as well as the platform, which stood for reproductive rights, immigration reform, religious discrimination, LGBTQ rights, gender and racial inequities, workers' rights, and other issues. Build bridges, not walls a reference to Trump's proposals for a border wall, became popular worldwide after the Trump inaugural address and was a common refrain everywhere in the march. And yes, I got my pink hat, of course. Thank you to an MSNBC friend that morning. I got lucky. You know, that happens sometimes. I didn't have one. I didn't know where to get one. And then one was bestowed on me. The Pussy Hat Project was started by two Los Angeles women, They liked the idea of knitting pink hats for everyone to wear for maximum impact. And boy, did it work. Over 100,000 people downloaded the pattern to make the hat, and it seemed like everybody was wearing them. The name, of course, comes to the top little corners of the hat that look like cat ears and trying to reclaim the derogatory term pussy and a play on Trump's uh, widely reported 2005 remarks that women would let him grab them by the pussy because he was a star and he could do anything he wanted. And so many of the hats worn by marchers in Washington, D.C. were made by crafters. Some of them were not able to come. And so they made these hats and they sent them to women who were going to come, which was a very nice show of solidarity. And they were distributed by crafters and yarn stores and carried to the event by marchers and distributed at the destination. And All over the place, there was a shortage of pink wool because so many of these hats were being made. I got to speak uh, by video link at two regional marches in Iowa and Connecticut and at a rally in D.C. the night before, and it was very inspiring, and I just loved having that opportunity. It was so crowded, I couldn't hear most of the speeches at the D.C. march, but I did hear later that Gloria Steinem had one of her classic lines, this is the upside of the downside. You know, friends, we showed the world that we will not allow our daughters to be demeaned. We will not allow a rollback of our rights. We will not tolerate sexual assault and that we stand with immigrants, refugees, people of color, our LGBTQ friends, and other marginalized groups. Just to be among so many fired up people was a reminder that we who stand for equality are not alone in these tough times. In fact, we are the majority. One in a hundred Americans was in the streets on January 21st. That is huge. I hope you were. And if so, hold on to those pink hats because we're going to use them again. I am sure of it. And if you weren't out there, you have plenty more chances. More on that in just a few minutes.
Rachel Stockman. She's managing editor of lawnews.com. That's lawnews.com, which is a terrific website that I read frequently, and Rachel writes a lot of articles there, and she's also a law school graduate and a very, very smart person. Rachel, thank you for joining me. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. I appreciate it. So one of the things I like about your reporting is that you really dig deep, and you have a new post with the headline, President Trump has already been sued 34 times since being elected. Uh, So uh, I guess we can put this under the category of this is not normal. Uh, Right. (laughs) So you point out that in his career, uh, he's been named in 3,500 legal actions in federal and state court. But since his victory, November 8th, 2016, you have found 34 different times that he's been sued. What stands out for you, Rachel? Well, it's very interesting because it's kind of like turning this this whole thing on its face where Trump was the aggressive one that used the courts to his advantage throughout his business career and some say would really used it to bully people. Um, and now, you know, that he's been elected, uh, it seems like a lot of people are using it to to go after him. So it's an, an interesting turning of the tables. Um, I will say, you know, just looking through all these lawsuits, clearly um, some of them are quite frivolous. I think a lot of people were just so upset and horrified that he was elected. They were trying to take any means possible, uh, including somehow trying to stop him from being sworn in. Um, But some of them, like the one that was filed uh, last week or earlier this week, I should say, by a group of ethics attorneys, um, do have some some legitimate legal questions that they bring about. So, okay, so let's talk about that one. That's Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics versus Trump. And they are saying that uh, from the moment he took office, he violated the emoluments clause of the Constitution because his businesses received money from foreign governments. Is that a valid cause of action, a valid case in your view, Rachel? Well, I mean, I think that I think it's, it, there's definitely some questions there because, listen, no one's ever actually that we were able to find filed a case on this emoluments clause ever. So it's never been tested in court. So we have no idea, you know, how a court's going to weigh in on this issue. There is going to be an issue of standing, whether the plaintiffs in the case, you know, were harmed by what happened. But clearly, I think just from reading over their lawsuit that they bring up some uh, you know, legitimate legal questions about whether, you know, his business taking in foreign money would 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 violate the emoluments clause. Yeah. And uh, I, as I understand it, those who say it does violate the emoluments clause say, look, the founding fathers did not want our leaders taking money from foreign governments because that obviously creates problems. And Trump has business interests all over the world. One of the problems we have is we don't know what they all are because he hasn't released his tax returns. But we know because we can see Trump hotels all over the world. We know he has interests. Perhaps uh, the Russian government or Russian bankers have loaned him money. We don't know. But we do know that people are staying in Trump hotels all over the world. And some of that money indirectly makes its way back to Donald Trump's pocket. And that 
people argue is a violation of the emoluments clause. On the other side of it, people say, look, uh, you know, Barack Obama sold books outside the U.S. that made its way into his pocket. Is that a violation of the emoluments clause? You know, founding fathers received money in various ways from, from foreign governments. And, and the bottom line is, what is he supposed to do? He really can't completely disentangle from these business interests, people say, and uh, everybody knew that he had these interests and he got elected anyway. Exactly. I mean, and even zeroing in a little more on it, one of the things that they raised is this hotel specifically in Washington, D.C. that the, that he opened not right. too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that as a little bit more of a, a, a kind of direct correlation because you could see how potentially a foreign diplomat who's coming to visit Trump and wants to curry favor with the U.S. government would feel obligated to stay in this D.C. hotel so that when he met with Trump, he could say, oh, I love the hotel. It was great. You know, yes. Uh, and there's already it, indications that that's happening. So it, and you're right. Exactly. The standing issue. So standing for the non-lawyers out there is whether you have the right to bring a case or not, whether you can be the plaintiff. And, uh, you know, to be fair, we don't want 300 million citizens suing the president every time he does something they don't so like. So let's transition from the standing issue to another case, and that's the case of Summer Zervos versus Donald Trump. And she is the a former apprentice contestant who's just filed a defamation lawsuit in New York a couple of days before the inauguration, and she's represented by none other than Gloria Allred, <laughs> who is my mother. And Zervos claims that Trump kissed her and groped her in a Beverly Hills hotel room in 2007, and then he called her a liar. He called all of the Trump accusers liars, and now she's suing him for defamation. What do you make of that case, Rachel? Well, I certainly think it was an e- interesting legal tactic by your mom, um, you know, to, to file the defamation case as opposed to the underlying uh, sexual harassment assault case. Well, that uh, one we- would be time barred, right? That's the problem. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but one of the issues I'm sure that's going to come up is, you know, the fact that he's president and whether that could affect the proceedings of the litigation. Now, the Supreme Court has ruled that clearly presidents aren't immune. Paula from, Jones case. Right. The Paula Jones case aren't uh, immune from civil lawsuits for conduct that occurred prior to their presidency. Uh, y- your your mom filed the lawsuit a couple of days before he was sworn in as well. But the question really is, um, I think Trump's attorneys are going to use every delay tactic possible. Oh, I'm sure try to say that he, you know, he has urgent business as president that he can't attend to this lawsuit. I can't imagine that they would settle this. Um, Right. So I think, you know, I do a lot of um, these kinds of cases, defamation cases, sexual harassment, sexual assault. Every defendant tries to delay and stall and stall. And listen, our sitting U.S. president is going to have some valid reasons to stall and delay. And I think a judge will allow that to some extent. Uh, But ultimately, he has to sit for a deposition, just like Bill Clinton had to do in the 1990s in the Paul Jones case, and the case will go forward. And I think the the two times that cases are most likely to settle, it's what I always tell my clients, is right before filing and right before trial. And when you're slogging through the litigation and discovery and depositions and exchanging documents, you tend to just slog. I, I think it's unlikely that Donald Trump would settle before trial. But, you know, I, I could be wrong. We'll see how he chooses to play this one out. Yeah. And just knowing, I don't know if you saw the same report, um, Lisa, but it seems like now Trump has this guy, Michael Cohen, yes. um, who was his, like, 
top legal guy at the Trump Organization. Now he's resigned from the Trump Organization, and he's basically going to be uh, Trump's David Kendall. Uh, David Kendall was uh, Bill Clinton's attorney. He dealt with all this. And so if you know anything about Michael Cohen, he's super aggressive. Yes. Uh, he, I've dealt with him as a journalist personally and can tell you he can get quite nasty. So huh. I can only imagine um, that, you know, he's going to fight hard. Yeah. Uh, I think In any fact, that- Rachel, you'll, you'll recall <laughs> that uh, I represented Jill Harth, who was the first woman to come out and speak out publicly about Donald Trump uh, sexually harassing her allegedly in the 1990s. You interviewed Jill a few times. Then we went over to Law News and uh, Dan Abrams interviewed us. And then immediately after the interview posted, uh, you got a call, right? Yeah, it was amazing. It was the, I believe, the first night or second night of the Republican uh, convention. And Trump actually called us personally uh, after we posted that article, even though, of course, we tried to reach him prior to the publication, you know, and he he tried to use tactics to say um, uh, this woman's in love with me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Interestingly, um, you know, I'd be curious to hear from you if you might file something similar with her because it seems like she'd have a similar case to mm. Summers. But mm. um, stay tuned, stay tuned, yeah. Rachel. <laughs> and pivoting off of that, uh, so let's end with you. You also found in your review of the 34 cases filed against Donald Trump since the election some kind of quirky ones. What did you think was the most unusual or the most kind of goofy? Well, it was kind of crazy because uh, as we were talking about uh, earlier, Lisa, you know, Trump's used the court system to to kind of bully people over the years during his business career. And it almost seems like people are kind of taking cue of what he did to do it to him, some of these folks, because a lot of the fo- uh, a lot of the lawsuits I found honestly are quite frivolous. I don't think they'll go much of anywhere. Um, but, you know, they all uh, have to do with... Uh, concerns over the Russian hacking and whether he's a legitimate president and the fact that um, that uh, Clinton won the popular vote and therefore somehow the law says Clinton should be president. I mean, obviously, none of these are going to go anywhere and many of them have been dismissed. Not going to um, happen. And one of them, one of them wanted, was claiming that Trump became a public enemy under General Order 100, uh, calling for Trump's arrest. And you did a little search and you found uh, there is no such thing. Right. This guy, and this happens a lot, that people file pro se lawsuits, you know, without an attorney. And the filing fees aren't, I don't file myself, but I'm sure you can say, you know, it's not cheap to file a lawsuit, especially in federal court. And people will file these things um, without an attorney and kind of allege all these crazy things in them. This one guy said he he should be arrested under this general, like you said, general order, which is no, there's no such law that exists. <laughs> right. Nice try, though. And Mr. Right. Fernandez claims he is commander of the Grand Army of the Republic, natu- natural person. All right. Well, we'll just leave that right there. Well, Rachel, it is so good to talk to you. And people can find uh, your work, Rachel Stockman's work at Law News. That's L-A-W-N-E-W-Z.com. It's a terrific site. And you do a lot of uh, really in-depth and sometimes just fun pieces. So Rachel, thanks so much for joining me today here on the podcast. Thanks, Lisa, for having me. Have a nice one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
And now it's time for dispatches from the resistance, letting you know what's being planned, that you can join in, or perhaps that will inspire you to create your own resistance action. Well, after the phenomenal success of the women's marches all over the world, other groups are planning their own demonstrations. There is the Trump Taxes March being organized for April 15th. Uh, the founders say, join us in demanding that the president show the American people his tax returns. For more details, you can go to taxmarch.org. They say the Women's March on Washington and its sister marches around the nation inspired and empowered millions of Americans, and I have to agree with that. Everyone who took to the streets this past weekend is now asking what's next. Well, the Trump Taxes March should be part of a larger protest about income inequality and Trump's tax cuts for the rich, or more accurately, Trump's tax cuts for his children. Ha! The Trump Taxes March has a simple, achievable goal, they say, to get President Trump to release his tax returns, something every other president has done for the last 40 years. And they want to show President Trump that no matter what his advisors may say, the American people do care. It's not just the media. We care if our president has unseemly ties to foreign or domestic interests. We care if our president says he'll do something and then straight up doesn't do it. Here's another one that's being planned that I think may be very big, and that's the March for Science. The website for that is scientistsmarchonwashington.com. They have a Facebook page, March for Science. They're also on Twitter at Science March, hashtag Science March, at Science March DC. Okay, you get the idea. Just Google Science March, you will find it. And they say that they too are following in the footsteps of the Women's March on Washington. Oh yeah, they are. Scientists are organizing with their sites also set on DC. They want to send a message that action is necessary to prevent changes to existing environmental and health policies now being proposed by Trump that they believe could have a devastating effect on our planet and its residents. They're still in the organizing stage. They don't have a date yet. They're going to have a mission statement soon, but they already have over 200,000 followers on Facebook and over 200,000 on Twitter. I propose they do a March on Earth Day and we'll see if they take me up on that one. They say they tweet, uh, they tweeted that they accept all people regardless of whether they are scientists and they want to develop a much larger role in advocacy including taking a stand for science in politics and I think that is absolutely so important because all of the climate change deniers always say well I'm not a scientist you know as if you have to be a scientist uh, to understand what's going on. Finally the National Pride March uh, the theme is In Solidarity is being organized once again, inspired by the historic Women's March. Uh, activist David Bruinuge has decided to organize an LGBTQ march on Washington on June 11 during D.C.'s Pride weekend. They expect to have over 18,000 people in attendance, according to their Facebook page now. I think it's going to be a lot more than that. Uh, they want to build off the momentum. The strong women in the U.S. around the world started on January 21st, and they want to be all-inclusive and peaceful, and they want to make sure that everyone's voice is heard in support of LGBTQ rights, and I think that is so important. Uh, they say that given that Donald Trump has already pledged to sign the First Amendment Defense Act, which would allow business and health care providers to refuse service to LGBTQ people based on religious beliefs, ugh, the future of LGBTQ rights is being called into question. 
not to mention Vice President Mike Pence, has historically proven he does not support LGBTQ rights, which inspired a protest specifically for the vice president on his lawn earlier this month. And by the way, did you see those pictures when he moved into Washington? The whole neighborhood flew rainbow flags out their windows. It was just fantastic. So those are three big marches that are being organized uh, for LGBTQ pride, for science, and to get Trump to release his taxes. And this is what happens. One group gets out there, organizes a phenomenal march like the Women's March, and other people are inspired and they take to the streets as well. And that's why resisting in any way you can is so important because the actions that you take will be moving and you will inspire others. If you are just not a marcher, it is just not your thing. Jennifer Hoffman has a great weekly activism checklist on her website, jenniferhoffman.com. That's Jennifer, H-O-F, as in Frank, M-A-N-N.com. This week, for example, she's advocating calling Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Chuck Grassley and opposing the nomination of Jeff Sessions as Attorney General. Hear, hear. And opposing Betsy DeVos for Secretary of Education because we need more public education, not less. Couldn't agree more, Jennifer. Three cheers for you. I'm going to have more specific actions like this in future podcasts, but this week I'm just so caught up with the Women's March and all of the marches that it spawned, I wanted to focus on that. Jennifer also has proposed social media posts you can cut and paste if you're busy, centering around not normal, hashtag not normal, like, it is not normal for an inaugural address to include words like carnage, trapped, robbed, decay, and ravage. A normal president doesn't use language of fear and escalation, but hope and vision. It is not normal for a president to promise to eliminate business conflicts of interest, fail to do so, and then lie about it. A normal president enters his or her term free of conflicts of interest or even the appearance of corruption. Jennifer gives us a good reminder, friends, that none of this is normal. These are disturbing times. But when you join with others in the resistance, you will feel a heck of a lot better because action is the antidote to anguish. This is Lisa Bloom, voice of the resistance. Please subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends, and follow me on Twitter or Facebook. This podcast is brought to you by The Bloom Firm, where together with my team of eight other lawyers, we fight for justice for our clients every day, whether in a business dispute, family law case, or discrimination and harassment case. Every one of my lawyers, like me, has a passion for justice. The bar requires me to say that this is an attorney solicitation, and yes, we would love for you to contact us at thebloomfirm.com. Friends, in coming weeks, I will take your questions. Call me at 818-835-0382 and leave me a short message with your question, and it might get answered next week. That's all for now. This is Lisa Bloom for The Resistance.